tonight, um, I just sort of start at the beginning and see how far we get. Because it's, um, the material itself, in a broader sense, is quite complex. Yet exploring it through the eyes of this particular article makes it quite digestible in a very easy way. So um, I would encourage you, if you decide to come back next week, give this a read. Uh, the entire discussion that we'll be having will be based on uh, this article by Jay Garfield. What was interesting when um, I was asked to teach, I have to, you know, I talked with my mama about what I might want to teach, and uh, she had just come out of, Amani had just come out of retreat, and I sent her the article, and she wrote back, and I could hear the laughter in her email telling me that um, this article had actually made it into their retreat and that she thought it was good synchronistic that I had presented it to her as something I wanted to teach. <laughs> so that was really interesting. Mostly I wanted to teach it because I wanted to better understand the three turnings. Um, it's in, when, as I was reading it, I found that I, uh, I'm definitely in line with what most people's belief system was, right? That, that they were higher and lower levels of teaching. But, uh, so it was really a fascinating article for me to read personally. But I'll get into that more in a minute. So, um, so I want to land. So I thought, uh, I'd take a couple deep breaths. Maybe we'll do a short meditation to settle into the, the class a little bit. Um, there's cushions if you want to get them, or if you prefer to sit in a chair. If you need a cushion for under your feet, don't be shy. Go get one. And then I'll talk a little bit about um, get get the time. Get comfortable. That's all land. and cozy position. I tightened up these chairs so they should be a little less wiggly than they were before. Um, yeah, I noticed that. Pretty sturdy. Yeah, you're just giving out a little, just like me, a little tightening up. <laughs> <laughs> or a little loosening, depending on the, the feet. It's 
So find your comfortable spot. Settle in. Let's take a, just a couple of deep breaths in and out at your own pace. Don't feel like you need to necessarily be on pace with everyone in the room that I find if you've taken a book and learned that sound. So let's take a,
Feeling ourselves inside of us. Focus on the breath moving through your body. Feel your clothing touches your skin, your hair maybe tickles your face.
This was a three-week class. There were a lot more complexities to share. So pretty much everything we do this week will be next week. So I won't bother going through the the, uh, the list. But I will point out uh, that with each turning of the wheel, there is along with this article anything that Professor Garfield mentioned is relevant that I thought was digestible and which I could locate. <laughs> put a link to it. And so you'll notice at the top here, it says virtual copies of class materials. If you type in that URL, you'll go to a folder where this is. So that you can just click on the links and you don't have to type them. Um, so 
if the article suggests a reading, I tried to capture it so that it was here. And I also uh, tried to capture terminology that felt important to consider. Optional stuff, right? But just if you were looking for a, a richer experience that allowed you to maybe go exploring a little bit of the um, terminology, those might be some things you'd want to focus on. Some of them, not all, are defined in the article. So you'll find a little list and some links uh, for each of the different trainings. This was a really fascinating article for me to read because I, I have to admit, until I even really started to put it together to teach this class, I didn't have a super deep understanding, clearly of what the three turnings were about and uh, why they were important. He spends the first, Professor Garfield spends the first section of the article. I thought I'd just kind of go through it. So I thought I'd go through sort of summarizing a little bit what's in the first and second turnings uh, and what the article is in general. And then we'll take a break. And then we can come back together and have just talk about it, right? That's kind of what I was thinking we could do. So he spends the first part of the article, and I love how he, the first whole paragraph is just about, I don't know anything, my teachers know everything. If I make any mistakes, they're mine. The stuff that's brilliant belongs to my teachers. I love that. I thought it was an excellent example. And uh, I also, I, he also studied Western philosophy, and I was a philosophy major, and so I loved where he wrote here that part of the reason uh, he might be wrong is because he tends to push the edge of the envelope, and um, which is why he wrote this paper to begin with. And he quotes Aristotle, who said when he criticized his teacher Plato that, you know, of course we love our friends, but we love the truth more. So, <laughs> thanks teach, but look, I'm expanding on your knowledge, and I love that. <laughs> it reminded me of being called. Um, so then he talks a little bit about, um, in the next paragraphs, he starts mentioning terms like, you know, Mahayana and Hinayana and what they mean and um, the three levels of, levels, the three, uh, what's perceived as the three levels of teaching, right? Like one is of a higher importance than another. And um, I really love in this last paragraph where he talks about, you know, the Mahayana, well, let me go back up to one more paragraph. The Mahayana teachings are considered the higher level teachings by most lay people. And that sometimes they refer to the first turning of the wheel as Hinayana. And in that last paragraph, I love how he points out that that actually translates to inferior or lower, as if you're putting yourself above other students, right? As if, <laughs> so the very, the quote at the very bottom of that first page, oh, <laughs> I have my friends, my great friends, and I have my inferior friends. I'm not saying bad things about my inferior friends, they're just inferior, right? That that's kind of what it's like to think that way about those first turning teachings. 
and uh, and then he talks about how some practitioners, you know, that they won't even read the, the second or third turnings, and and then in this third paragraph, and this pretty much sums up what my uh, thought process was. This this big quote here that says, well, the first turning of the wheel was taught for people of lower capacity. And the second turning of the wheel was taught for people of much higher capacity. And the third turning was, well, that was taught for people who thought they were of high capacity, but then it didn't quite work. So they had to slip back to this other one. So they are really kind of medium. And of course, you know, we know that we're that higher level practitioner, right? So that would be a... And when I read that, I because when I was first reading the article, I was thinking, oh, I don't think those things. But then I read that paragraph, and it was hard to not think, yeah, I, I've kind of thought that. But clearly, I didn't understand. And as he explains, as my mom has talked about before, um, sometimes the, this, this belief system was created because there appear to be inconsistencies in the three turnings, right? Halfway through that fourth paragraph, that quote says, hey, listen, Buddha, sometimes you say there's a self, sometimes you say there's no self, sometimes you say things are empty, sometimes you say things aren't empty, this seems contradictory, what's going on? And so people had sort of explained that in their minds by layering these three teachings as, well, just steps along the path so that people could open their minds, right? Which is exactly what I thought. And then he goes into this fifth paragraph that just says, but didn't the Buddha say it all? And if the Buddha said it, and we're going to believe that the Buddha said it, doesn't that mean that It's all going to be given credence. Kind of in the middle of that paragraph, it says, the speech of the Buddha is anything spoken directly by the Buddha, anything inspired directly by the Buddha, any spoken, anything spoken in the presence of the Buddha and approved by the Buddha, or anything that is fully consistent with the intent of the Buddha. I love this one. So a question we need to ask ourselves maybe every day is, Am I too good? Am I too smart? Am I too realized to listen to what the Buddha has to say? <laughs> if the answer is yes, go enjoy the sunshine. But if the answer is no, then we need to take everything the Buddha said seriously. I'm on page two about the milk. You want something to put your cup on? It's pretty mellow, casual, but obviously you can tell. So he says that really, these three different turnings, they're not really three different levels of subject matter. They're three completely different ways of looking at the world in the terms that, in which the Buddha chose to teach. And that everything written in them is useful to us in all three turnings. In this last paragraph, um, he talks about how this isn't even really his original idea. He heard the Dalai Lama talking, and he heard His Holiness talking, 
during a teaching where he set up this idea that it was time to pay more attention to all three turnings because they seem to approach these different domains. And so then Professor Garfield went home and really started thinking about it and realized that um, His Holiness was right. That it, after rereading the literature and reframing it in his own mind, it maybe really was time to reassess how we have explored the three turnings, even in a lot of the existing literature. This is from what I can understand, and I've not read much beyond this article, the few that it recommends, but it sounds like this is a completely new way, really, of looking at this that's in written commentary. It may have been discussed, but that Professor Garfield was one of the first to write in this way. And so I'm at the top of page three right now, that second paragraph, and this is, um, I this is where he sort of summarizes all three turnings before going into a somewhat, I will say in depth, but really it's a scraping of the surface discussion of each turning. And so what he says is, um, in brief, we can say that the teachings of the first turning set out for us the general characterization of the nature of reality, the general characterization of samsara, its causes, and the means for release from samsara. The second turning teachings set out the nature of emptiness from the side of the objects of knowledge. And the third turning teachings set out an understanding of emptiness from the side of the subject of knowledge. And he then goes on to say that if, you know, if we can see this, these things in this way, we see the three sets of teachings as complementary to one another rather than com in competition. Um, two pages of writings on the first turning. The first turning of the wheel is um, the first documented um, teaching that the Buddha gave um, in Sarnath, just outside of Varanasi. And there were five, five of his initial disciples present. And this is the uh, the teaching where he sets out the basis for us, the Four Noble Truths, uh, the Eightfold Path. He really lays both of those out for us in, uh, in this initial teaching, which the name of which I know I'm going to destroy. Dhamma Bhavatana Sutta? Do you have do you have any idea how to pronounce that? Yeah. I don't know any Pali pronunciation. Yeah. There is a link. Thank you. Right. No, this is an easy group, so I knew I could stumble. I wasn't gonna try it at all. <laughs> I knew it was an easy group. I practiced at home, I really did, but that was before I went to my brother's. It's been yeah. five days. <laughs> um so at the bottom of page one of the syllabus, the suggested reading is a link um, to that particular sutra that also includes uh, a direct transcription of the sutra, a glossary of terminology that's important, and commentary. 
It's, uh, I went searching, I found a few different ones, but this was the one that I liked the best. It seemed to offer the most well-rounded, um, and if I'm not mistaken, oh no, this isn't the one. There's another one later. Does this sutta is the most important in the entire Buddhist literature? This is where, in this first sutta, this is where we learn the Four Noble Truths. And as Lama puts them in her beautiful, simple, and very clear way, life sucks, here's why. Life can be bliss, here's how. <laughs> right? And, uh, and he takes us through that in his, in his paragraphs here. Professor Garfield does. He, he, he lays out a little bit of commentary and discussion on, um, on the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path. So there's a whole big paragraph in here on the idea of suffering, right? Life sucks. That whole idea that life is is suffering. And I'm right in the middle. You're, shut up, Buddha, you're such a downer. <laughs> but it's not, because it, what, what you know what Buddha meant by that, of course, I mean there's many sufferings. There's a suffering of aging, of death, right? That separation from things that we love. Um, desire. I mean there are a lot of sufferings in the human life. So many things that keep us from feeling complete and fulfilled and happy. Right? And we like to believe that that it's we have these this idea of why we're suffering. But what Buddha's telling us is in the, in the second noble truth, it's not what you think it is. Suffering doesn't just happen, it's, it's, it's brought about by causes and conditions, but you're looking at it wrong, right? Um, that we're so attached to that, that I and the idea that we're being wronged or, or deprived in some way, that that's what leads to the suffering. At the top of page four, talks about the confusions of reality, right? It isn't just an absence of knowledge, an absence of knowledge about where the suffering comes from, but it's a positive superimposition of a false view of reality over the reality that we experience. What? We have a tendency as humans to think of things as independent. Even when we're sitting enjoying a meal, we don't really think about 
all the steps it took necessarily to get it there, right? So he says there is a way to stop it. Life can be bliss. We can stop this suffering. We can stop having this constant feeling that we're not getting enough. <laughs> Professor Garfield says uh, that is to reverse that cognitive activity, that constant thought process, reversing it. And but that reversing it really requires a fundamental transformation of our minds, right? How we look at things. That's the life can be bliss part, right? That life doesn't have to suck. We don't have, you know, it only sucks because we look at things wrong. That it can be bliss if we just transform how we look at things. And that brings us to that fourth noble truth, that how. And that's where that eightfold path comes in. The, uh, the grouping up of wisdom through right understanding and intention watching our ethical conduct through being mindful and discerning in our speech and our actions, including how we earn our living. And taking up meditation in the form of right efforts, mindfulness, and concentration. out specifically that on page four, one, two, three, four, five paragraphs down, that people can be puzzled by that. And just points out that, you know, even it, just thinking about certain things can cause problems. And he uses this specific example of, you know, suppose that he believed that just women were basically dumb and couldn't do anything. Well, that could impact his students' lives horribly, right? All of his female students, he'd be grading them based on the belief that, you know, so even just not having the right view in general can impact other beings. We see that all the time. So that Eightfold Path asks us to examine our lives all the time, to think about what we're doing and how we're doing it. You know, you can be giving all kinds of money to charity and doing all kinds of beautiful things, making parks, whatever. But if you're running a business that's, you know, destroying large swaths of land or causing people to die, maybe that's not as...
So then he shifts towards the bottom of the page, away from the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path. Those like general frameworks of how he's encouraging us to live our lives. And he brings up uh, another reading. There's a link in the syllabus. The questions of King Melinda. This link will lead you to uh, to the whole text. And um, he points you within this reading to the specific areas of the text that he's talking about. If you decide to want to go back and look at it, um, but it's basically it's a conversation between uh, King Melinda and a teacher named. Nagasena? Nagasena? I don't know how to say his name. Nagasena. I'll just say it with confidence, right? You got it first. Nagasena. Nagasena. Thank you. <laughs> I love how he puts it. So the, the king asks him, gee, you Buddhists teach this doctrine in himself. If there's no you, who should I pay homage to? Who wears the robes? Who does the practice? I'm at the top of page five, second paragraph now. And so, uh, Nagasena leads him through a little description, you know. Well, King, how'd you get here? You came here in a chariot, right? Well, where was the actual chariot? Is it the axle of the chariot? Is it the wheels of the chariot? Is it the seat? And the king's, well, of course not. It's all that stuff put together. It's all of it. That's what the chariot is. It's everything assembled and functioning. That's what makes it the chariot. And so Nagasena says, okay, so that's me, right? I'm just hair and teeth and and feet. I'm just different pieces and parts that are assembled together to make this thing that is referred to as Nagasena. But where really am I, right? What part of that is I? So we exist, but not as any one independent self. We're dependent on all of the accumulation of our pieces and parts, physical, spiritual, emotional. So that first turning those first teachings first day, I'm imagining it's a day because I was here last week, but <laughs> that first turning um, was really just laying out the groundwork to help people to understand through the Four Noble Truths that the existence we have doesn't have to be what it seems, especially if you live a very suffering life. And that through the Eightfold Noble Path, you can reach a place where you no longer suffer in those ways. And then bringing in the context of the questions of the king, by understanding the true nature of self and how it relates to everything around it. 
So that's the first turning. Doesn't sound to me like rudimentary teachings anymore when I look at it that way. I mean, it's not that I hadn't read it and didn't know that, right? So it's 7.28. Do we want to take a break or keep going for a little while longer? I'm good. Okay. Thank you. That was kind. <laughs> I'm good. Is this working? Just going through the article like this? Right? Mm -hmm. I, I have a question for you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's a good idea. Any questions so far? Let <laughs> <laughs> me find a good idea to stop in between drinks. Yes. Yeah. Um, because we were, we, uh, Heather, I was lucky she has and take me to hang out with their people. Oh, um, nice! <laughs> and anyway, they were, I, I remember uh, he was talking about Madhyamaka uh, Pradik. That's a geek, yeah. Yeah, the school of emptiness, right? One of the philosophies on emptiness, is that right? Uh, he was talking about emptiness. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Cool. yeah. Is that the same school as Nagasena? Is that the same view? Or no? But Nagasena is later anyway. He's I've never heard of Nagasena. Oh, okay. Unless it's unless it's Pali for Master Nagarjuna. Right. I don't know. Go ahead. Go ahead, Bhima. I think that um, that Garfield brought that in more as an example for an exploration of self. Right. And what's interesting in the next section, actually, he does talk a bit about um, the fact that all the texts that we study aren't necessarily the Buddha's words directly, right? Some of them were written hundreds of years later. I'm, I'm on page five, actually, below the second journey at this point, like in the second or third paragraph. And that um, there's some, there can be you know, it's kind of a personal feeling almost, how you want to feel about that, mm -hmm. right? And it's not, it's not the same because, um, remember, Getschel was also saying everything in the Prasangika school is Sanskrit. Yeah. Um, nothing's Pali. Okay. And so this is based on Pali. It's all based on Pali. Even I'm the, not familiar with even the story of King. Melinda, or is this... Uh, yeah, because um, it says it's... Beautiful little text, a number of metaphors yes. are introduced for understanding ideas developed in the Polynesian language. Okay. So I think that's... Just a question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, if I paid more attention, I would see that I highlighted that exact sentence you just read. <laughs> so, yeah, even that part of the story came, it was apparently developed... Well, he would have been a Pali teacher then, wouldn't he? Isn't that what you just asked? I was just asking about like because this is uh this philosophy on emptiness mm. must you know be a on self way. yeah um, the way that the logic is broken down you know it, the the Indian uh, scholars have different ways of breaking that down and this is this is the question 
I'm trying to understand what school thinking, but maybe it was before that. Well, I think he's also saying that um, there is an example that is, this example is used in, I forgot what text he's in here, but in the Madhimika text. Mm -hmm. And so he's using this as an example to point out that, because um, he's saying Master Chandrakirti actually got this example and used it in Madhimika from the Pali text. Okay. So we think it's like, oh, this is a Madhimika example or something. Okay. So that's my understanding of what this is saying. Because okay. he says that in that last paragraph. That's what I'm getting confused about mm -hmm. as well. It's like, because I feel like this article is trying to integrate both views, right? And say that yeah. they belong to the same. <laughs> Mine too, and married in many ways. Well, and that's what Garfield was saying, that he is mixing traditions in a way that's new. Right? I mean, in the very first paragraph, uh, he says that some of the things we're going to read are not orthodox, right? That, and, but that from listening to the Dalai Lama in his teaching, that these were important ways to mix them to help raise understanding. That's my take on it. Okay. He's got an interesting website, uh, Professor Garfield, actually. There's lots of readings, and there's another reading later in, uh, in the mix that was also one yeah, um, Alan actually teaches that way too, where he brings it all the way back to you know the Pali text, and but then relates it to um, the Mahayana view. You know, he's always going back, saying this is the root, this is the foundation. You have to understand the foundation. You have to do inquiry before have some kind of understanding of emptiness before you can even move right. forward. You know, to maybe That's something. That's how Michael teaches too. Yeah, yeah. like yeah. we've. For years, he teaches like, well, that's how the Geshe program is set up. Um, right. For the Madhyamika um, Prasandika school, too, is you study all of the schools. Okay. But I don't think all different lineages are like that. Okay. I don't think so either. Well, and that's Maybe kind of what he's yeah. doing here, is he's saying, well, you know, you've, you've got to understand these basics before you go anywhere else. And that comes from reading those first that first sutra from the Buddha, and then exploring the Melinda questions, right? Because they can help. Um, I mean, the goal is, it, they, it might be putting them together in a new way, but if it breaks open the soda pop bottle of your brain and enables you to understand it in a deeper way, yeah, okay. then it's a good way to layer them together. Huh. I, yeah, I just, I'm learning because I, I just too. assume that all the Buddhist schools would have had to emphasize that even you know, if it, you call it Hinayana, but the Shravakayana text could, are foundational too, but that's not the case. I don't think so, no. Very interesting. Because, like, um, Geshe Soljum was saying too, is that schools that study Pali will not study Sanskrit because they don't believe it's the word of the Buddha. Okay. Right, and that's what he talks about at the beginning here. Right, right. He's talking about all the Theravadins in general will not. Yeah. Will not, they will not study anything of the Mahayana schools, right? Because it's not. But he was also making an argument that at the same time that's being taught in Bijankala Chakra, which is in Sanskrit, I think. Correct. Right, but at the exact same time, but not the same place. But not the same place, which is yeah, interesting. Yeah, I know. Yeah. That's also an argument for the lineage being authentic. Yeah. <laughs> It is. So, Michael, the three turnings of the wheel are like the three 
kind of like main ideas that the Buddha taught. And he taught them at different times to different students. And they're basically like three different ideas of emptiness. So it is, they are, it is confusing. So, I mean, but, and just to, to tie it back, I mean, in terms of like what Emily was teaching mm-hmm. of emptiness, how does this relate to that? She was mostly well, in the first turning, I think. I mean, she was going to get other places, but she left. Right, so she and she stuck a lot to that. Well, the idea that was discussed between Melinda and Nagasena, that idea of self, but applied to everything, right? Is this a cup? No, we yeah. named it cup, right? It's not that it doesn't exist, mm-hmm. but well, like when we So were, that would be like the first turning. Yeah, well, right. Like the, the three sticks and... and Right. And yeah. Okay. The things the, the, that the, the, she Emily she uses wrote an a tool. A. She wrote a capital A with three lines. Oh, okay. And well, so before language okay. was invented, if you had happened upon three sticks laying on the ground, right, <laughs> you wouldn't have seen an A. You would have just seen three sticks. And so yeah, she was sticking into the very early part, just that, which is also part of that the. the um, that's the very last of the noble truths, right? The here's how that brings us into that eightfold path that helps us to understand that nothing's as it seems, that this is labeled by us. Mm. Social a social, right? A social convention, a social agreement that we so will call this So that one path. understanding mm-hmm. of the idea of emptiness. Yeah. She would have gotten to all of them, but she had to go. Then the second one would be the one we mostly study in our school, which is Nothing exists from its own side at all. Everything mm-hmm. is the projection. And the third turning, he's like, after people freak out or are very confused, Lord Buddha's like, okay, okay, you know, I didn't, I didn't really mean that nothing existed. <laughs> <laughs> some things do and some things don't. Or, you know, they exist in, in a relative way. Or, you know, so he kind of like backpedaled. That's kind of the very basic general story of the three turnings. That's what this is about. Which is emptiness from the side of the object, the second, which Garfield talked about on page three in that oh, yeah. paragraph, right? That the first turning uh, set out for us the gen- general characterization of the nature of reality, the general characterization of samsara, its causes, and the means for release from samsara, right? Life sucks, here's why. It doesn't have to, here's how, right? That eightfold path. And then the second turning set out the nature of emptiness from the side of objects of knowledge. And then the third turning set out the understanding of emptiness from the side of the subject of knowledge. And we'll talk about all of those, just like we're just now talking about, you know, what does this mean, the four noble truths in the eightfold path. When we get to the second and third turning. So that book, did the, the four noble truths, is like this. Right. That, it's a big, long commentary, basically, on what they are to help you understand them. But the summary of it is, life sucks, here's why. I love Mama, right, for that. <laughs> I know, that was really great. <laughs> <laughs> the book that Emily's suggested by His Holiness on emptiness, like, I forgot what it was called, but I believe he talked about all of them in there. I haven't read it, though. But that's what she was using to go through the course, and we were going through all the different yeah. Well, she had a, a very interesting text which I got and started reading. So. From His Holiness. No, the the one that Emily started the, when she started the class, she referenced a, a text. Yeah. 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 I yeah. think that's the same one that I'm talking about. Okay. How yeah. to see yourself? Yeah. This one. Yeah. That one. Yeah. <laughs> I have it too. 
Kazane. So let's look at the. Um, I just love every time I see the dot on this picture. I don't know why. I it's know. It's like an instant impact on me now. Invited in me. Just like so happy. Yeah, it's like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> nice. <laughs> well played. So it doesn't list the noble truths specifically, but certainly they'd be inferenced within the readings. Like, I don't see anything in here. There's nothing in the index that says he's just left like a... But reading through it, they're all going to be in there. You just have to infer it. If you're looking more for a direct teaching on the Four Noble Truths, you might want to stick with that other book that you've got initially. Right? Or give a world to this link that I put here. It's easy to read, you know? And, uh, yeah, I love that. Being able to leave it online so that it's easy to find. Um... So, so no, no, no. I was just, I was just gonna say. Any more questions? Yeah, question on a question on the emptiness concept in Buddhism. So, when you say emptiness, you know, there's obviously layers to emptiness. But is there like a basic, like, just like things are not um, independent, empty of self-inherent existence? Is that the foundation for that idea, or is it yeah. just? And then there's layers on how that's understood. Yeah, layer, layers to help people break open their understanding of it, right? Because I don't know if there's layers of how it's understood, because there's not different ways of understanding emptiness, but there's different ways of uh, talking about uh, it to help crack it. open yeah. minds to understand. Because it's like, mind, sometimes it's like, I got it! Wait, where'd it go? Because <laughs> we've mostly, I can't remember if this is in one of the infinite courses, but we studied like six flavors of emptiness, and... Yeah, I've seen like a lot of ways it's been hit. Yeah. And so that, the, so like that one would kind of, I believe it was split into two, and then like the second turning was the second two. No, that's not how it was split up, but it was all progressively getting you closer and closer to the actual definition according to our school of what emptiness Sure. Is. So that's yeah. what those six were getting you to, and I think what you're referring to would be the base. Yeah. Well, and he's not necessarily trying to explain everything to everybody in this article. He's just trying to highlight for them that there are explanations in that first, the readings of that first turning that will help give you the solid foundation that you need to really understand the deeper meaning. That it's not that they're lower level teachings. It's yeah. the foundation. I mean, intensely, in a sense, they are because they're the foundation, the and that's the considered the lower level. But it's not lower level as in no. less or more important, right? They're foundational. I mean, how can, if a building doesn't have a good foundation, yeah. Yeah. right? Absolutely. <laughs> it was just all, because I, I mean, I looked at this all, I never looked at it that way, really. I mean, and that wasn't even how it was. I mean, I've heard teachers say, well, you know, it's kind of working your way up. and but that's not really, that gives the wrong, to me, inference, yeah. right? Like they were less important, and it's like, no, that, that's the foundation of the house right there. I don't even, I, I thought Lama gave this, me, us this article, but maybe I found it because I was trying to learn more about, you know, the three turnings of the wheel, but, because you hadn't seen it before? It, but Okay, so then I must have, because it was in one of my read this files, and I wasn't sure if I just stuck it in there. Because I have been wanting to read up on them, so I have this tendency to hoard readings of things I want to read one day, and I never have time to read any of them. 
And so that's why when Lauren asked me to teach, I thought, you know, I've always wanted to read that article about the three turnings of the wheel. I think I'll teach on that. That's why I kind of had to, right? So this is really my first exploration of this article, too. It's been really, you know, I've read it several times, and I've read the readings behind it, because um, I wanted to be sure to... But I, I mean, I get lost in the term of poly, and my, I get lost in all that, too, in the Theravadin, and then, you know, because it's like a big map. And I had to let go of being able to see all those dates and the line in my head. I had to just know that eventually it would all come together. Otherwise, I was driving myself nuts. I was wanting to draw this giant timeline of where they all fit, and it just didn't make sense. Because oh, it didn't cool. matter how you mixed them. Yeah. You know? It would drive me crazy. Yeah, was talking about that, how there's just a lot of inconsistencies, and that he has, there's ways of explaining it, but then there's also a lot of argument within schools about oh, yeah. how to explain it. Right. Which is why it's so fun and useful, fun wasn't the right word I was looking for, which is why it's so useful in my world to find the readings that have the commentaries with them. Because then you get, because often in the commentaries they'll give their own opinion, but they'll often talk about what others believe of it too. So that's why when I did look for readings, if I could find readings that also included commentaries, I put that in there. I wanted to make it as rich with information as possible. You, you, you referenced Geshe Shultram a few times. He's here already. He's here? He starts teaching as soon as this class is over. Um, I'm a filler. <laughs> May 14th. I'll oh. start teaching on Tuesdays. So he's, he's already... teaching in Auburn now. Oh, okay. So mm -hmm. In fact, are they open teachings? The one that uh, Anand is referring to was just like, my parents asked him to teach a small group about like the in-depth emptiness teaching, which is like really in-depth. So that's <laughs> that's what he's referring to. Yeah. So it's yeah, it's technically open. It's just like you have to you have to have like some foundation and want to go really in depth with it. But he's teaching his regular classes too. Right, starting but here. I think this next week he's out of town. Uh -huh. But um, do I get those emails with the scheduling? If I do, I'll forward them to you because you can always go up there if you want to see guys too. Because I, yeah. I found him to be somebody I can grasp, understand. Oh, uh, really? Good than, for you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to go to school and sitting in on this teaching. Michael <laughs> <No. laughs> well, took his vows yeah, from him. So oh, much did. detail. Yeah. It's yeah. amazing. I took my vows from him and had, uh, you know, I've been up to Auburn uh, uh, twice to talk with them. Um, oh, well, he's there right now. If um, I think at least for a few more days before he goes out of town for a week. So. Does he have the same phone number? Do you know? want to see him? Yeah. Yeah, because okay, cool. I called him. If you don't have his number, I can give it to you, Michael. Okay. Yeah, if you want to get in touch with him. Yeah, yeah I would. Because mm -hmm. I didn't think he was going to be here until a couple more weeks. He's not going to be teaching here yeah. until a couple weeks, but he came into the... I didn't realize he was coming into the area early either until Heather mentioned it. Um, because Emily ago. was going to be teaching, mm -hmm. and then he was gone. Right, that's so why Emily had an emergency and left, and then, yeah, so it got longer. So that's that's how things shifted. But yeah, that's why we did the circle that one week, right, to wrap up Emily's class because she had to leave, and then um, it left these three weeks open. So originally, I was just going to do a two-week course on other stuff that I'd kind of taught before, but then when it opened up to three weeks, it's like okay, I can do the three turnings because I'd have one turning three day, but it didn't work out that way either. But I'm glad because I'm really grateful I got the opportunity. 
but I realized it was just, you know, because last week didn't quite work out, there was confusion. So when I realized it was just going to be the two days, I probably would have taught the other class. I like oh. how things write in that way. <laughs> so it is about quarter to eight, um, actually about ten to eight. We can um, take a short break or keep going, and then just end a little early. You want to just keep going? And I think short break. Short break? All right, let's take a few minutes to stretch and well, I was going to say, feel free to do what you need I to do. I can be in this position, you know, <laughs> 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 oh.